Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories. We're about to talk to the man who's made me change the way I will always view Epicaticular Wax and Dennis Farina for the rest of my life. I'll never be able to separate those two things again. Joy Santori, better known as Crime Pays, Botany Doesn't. If you have not followed him across YouTube, Instagram, I was just saying to Joey before we started recording, uh, one of the great things I, I admire about what you're doing is the fact that you're a self-taught amateur botanist, but you're not hiding away from it. You're not like, hey, I'm going to dumb this down uh, for people. Give me how you got started, man. I, I, I know a little bit about it, but I wanted to hear it directly from you. Like, were you always a plant person? Did you just discover it through your own, you know, life experience? And one day it was just, you saw the, the fascination with it. Uh, yeah. How <laughs> did I get started? I jumped the gun there a little bit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I got into, uh, I, yeah, I was just fascinated with it. I just, I think I just realized I didn't know, I didn't know much about that kind of world around me. And I'd spent most of my life in cities. And, and once I got, once I started to get out of them a little bit and, uh, explore the world, I just realized I had a lot of questions that I needed to answer just for my own, for my own sake. And then every answer I, I got just opened up for more questions. So, you know, I'd never had the pretense of, I need to go to school or I need to validate, you know, the $120,000 college loan I took out or I need to make myself feel as if, you know, I'm, I'm better than anybody else at the end of the day. I'm just some schmuck who likes plants and I like, you know, I like getting other people excited about that stuff. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think that's where academia and any kind of, uh, quote professionalism, uh, loses people is that it just gets really caught up in trying to maintain this facade of, you know, that, that in some cases isn't even there, you know, whereas, whereas I'm just, there's no facade with me. I'd be doing it whether I was, you know, in a small town or probably even on a deserted island or whatever. I would be, you know, look, doing, doing what I do with plants and, you know, hoping to share it with other people. So it's just, and I, you know, as far as like the humor and the joking around and all that, that's just kind of, uh, I guess, I mean, that's just part of life for me. You know, if I didn't have that, I'd, I don't know where I'd probably be in a madhouse or something. So. Do you also feel that sharing the the real details of plants, you know, I joked about Farina, right? Like talking to people about it is what makes them fascinating. You know, when you sort of don't talk about the details and, and we try to just say, you know, like in the horticulture gardening world, it was like, oh, this is low maintenance. This is low maintenance. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay attention to it. You know, it, it strips away what makes plants so incredible when you don't present the interesting parts to it that, that are so nuanced sometimes. Like, I think the reason people want low maintenance stuff is because that's, that's more a byproduct of the way that we view them. You know, they're just kind of a background. They're just kind of a wallpaper, you know, and rather than the entire base of the food chain on planet Earth, you know, <laughs> like I think, I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that's what enables us to be here. I mean, originally it was cyanobacteria and then plants evolved and then that's kind of what made the way for higher life. But, you know, that's the, I think it's just, like I said, a symptom of the way that society views them which I think is, uh, 
is pretty unfortunate. You know, there's there's often, you know, I guess where I run into beef with the horticultural world, and it's the same place I run into the, to beef with the the world of herbal medicine or the world of drug culture or anything. Is it's not plants aren't just autonomous entities. They're not just these chemical factories that that uh, exist on their own. They're parts of ecosystems. They're parts of ecology. Uh, they're parts of evolutionary lineages, and that's where the real fun for me. That's where the really fun part is, you know. And once I kind of, and I guess I just figured that out on my own. You know, I'd be reading about a plant, and I'd hear it mentioned. You know, this is a rare, this is a, one of the basal lineages, and I'd be like, "What is a basal lineage?" And then I'd learn more about that, and it put in the context of evolutionary time for me, and I'd learn that you know this is a, a lineage that basically what the plant I'm looking at is the only living member of it. And it evolved 80 million years ago, a hundred million years ago, whatever. And it made it a lot more exciting. So what became, you know, what originally may have just looked like a boring evergreen plant you'd see, uh, you know, in the inside of an office complex, like in the lobby or something. Oh, now it's, I realize it's like, you know, the ancestor of all flowering plants, whatever. So I think it's just, you know, you get the background story, you know, it's like, it's like seeing someone on the street, you think they're just some boring schmuck or you judge them or whatever. And then you learn like, you know, they've written 15 novels and they've lived this crazy life and whatever. It's just, you know, there's a, so much more that you don't know about something just by looking at it. You know, and I think animals get all the attention because they're charismatic and they kind of look cool and they're elusive and weird. But I mean, for me, you know, for me, plants have really always been the way more interesting thing to me when I learn about it, you know, especially, you know, in terms of propagating. And my, my friend Martin used to say, and he, you know, he's like an expert uh, propagator with a heavy scientific background, like a PhD and, you know, but totally unpretentious, really funny. He used to always say that, you know, you don't know a plant until you've grown it. Absolutely. And to me, that was, that was, I mean, that was key. I mean, when I was first getting into this stuff, I was growing a lot, like propagating a lot. You know, I was fortunate enough to to be at SF Arboretum at a time when they didn't make you sign a waiver. You just kind of showed up and they, you know, okay, what do you know? And you talk to them and then they just kind of let you do your thing and they'd mentor you, you know. So, I mean, you can't do that anymore. But back at, back then, it's driving Arboretum. I mean, when I first got into the plants, I was mostly into conifers. So me like too. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So me too. So coniferous trees were my first thing. So was that the first category for you that you were like, okay, this is interesting? Did, was it, like you said, the the genetic lineage of it, the timeline of its ev- evolution on Earth? Was that the thing that sparked you about it? Do you remember, was there one particular moment for you where you were like, okay, this got me hooked? Yeah, with, I mean, with conifers, it was totally. Cause, and, you know, most people think of conifers, they think of pines and spruces, but those are actually, you know, the more recent lineages. The, the stuff I was into was the, the subtropical stuff, the dinosaur the dinosaur trees, I would call them, you know, members of the redwood family, members of the protocarp family, you know, the, the ericaria family, what they call the monkey puzzles. That was the really cool uh, stuff for me just because it was so old and you could see how old it was and it's you know and it's morphology and then these were still you know there were variations on the theme but the theme itself was very primitive and very i mean it just looked like it evolved at a different time you know, no flowers just you know, heavily heavily spiked very leathery foliage uh, and a lot of them just got massive um, so that yeah that was cool that was cool i mean in, in terms of 
you know, evolution and, and learning phylogenetics, you know, how one species is related to another. I mean, conifers are easy. There's not that many of them. There's, you know, there's what, like 280,000 species of flowering plants. I think for conifers, there's like 550, you know. Do you feel that like now when you travel, which you're, you're going to some awesome places, that's the other thing too. And so when you tell people, cause I have this experience sometime, I remember uh, probably five years ago, I was telling some people I was going to this area over in West Virginia in the uh, Elkins mountains where there's a, a group of ABs that just, it's this real small isolated pocket where they still are at. And I found it just fascinating. And I wanted to go see them for myself. And I told people that. And they were like, what the hell are you doing? Why why are you going there to see these trees? Do you, do you get that? Do you care if you get that? You know, because you're going to some really... I mean, I, I guess. But you know what? What really, what would strikes me is that, I mean, I guess to me, that's like something I would make fun of. Like that kind of outlook is what I make would make fun of because it's so fucking, and I don't know if you said I could swear. No, you're not. totally good. Don't worry about but it. it. But to me, that's such a fucking depauperate outlook. Like, okay, you get 80 years on this planet. What do you spend your time doing? Like, you know, working this job that's, you know, at best minimally fulfilling to you. You fucking hate it. You spend two hours in a car commuting. You live in some, you know, suburb that, to me, would I'd probably want to kill myself if I lived there for a month, you know? And then you turn on the TV and follow someone else's made-up reality to, you know, nurse yourself out of your, your, you know, mediocrity and depression. I mean, to me, that's and I would never say that to anybody, but that's the way I think. You know, when I hear it, like some, I, I forget where it was. I saw like some dude had made a YouTube video. This guy was going to fucking Asia to to look at snakes. He was just he looked like some guy that. You know, you'd see on a golf course, just some kind of, you know, normal, retired, uh, you know, upper, or older, middle-aged white, uh, white man. But he's going to fucking Hong Kong to look at uh, king cobras because he, he's so amped on seeing king cobras. And to me, I'm like, Jesus Christ, totally alone, no tour guide, nothing. He's just going over there and filming this stuff. And he's not a professional. He's just some nerd who's obsessed with snakes. To me, I was like, that's so fucking cool that this guy does that. Because most people don't have the imagination. They don't have the context. They're just kind of boring, half dead inside. You know, I don't have a very uh, altruistic or positive look on most human beings. I, and I've got nothing against them. I kind of just don't want to be around most of them. You know, I'll take them as individuals. But when you get them in a herd, they're fucking terrifying. Well, and, and it's, so, it's also this... It, one of the things you, you don't see a lot right now, I mean, let's, let's be honest, people, let's cut through it a little bit. The, the passion for plants is, generally speaking, at an all-time low. Yeah, it, you don't see passion in most people, period, though. I mean, you really don't. I mean, and that's kind of the goal of society. I feel like that makes you a good... Uh, a good cog in the economy is if you, you know, you're... <laughs> as if you're half dead inside. So to see passion that somebody has for anything and when they're zoomed whether it's fixing cars or whether it's whatever, when someone's really passionate about it and not just doing it to look cool or doing it because their friends are doing it, you know, it's an action. You could tell this person would be into this, whether they were, again, I always use this metaphor. Would you be doing this if you were alone? Like you knew you were going to be on a deserted Island shipwrecked for the next 30 years of your life. You're going to die alone. You don't have any, no human contact, but say just it's a magical reality. You could do anything you want. Like you could go into this room and there would be any hobby, all the tools you needed for that hobby. So you've got all the time in the world, but it's just 
It's just going to be you. What is your passion? What would you do? I ask people that all the time, you know, and I think if you asked a lot of people that and got an honest answer, a lot of them would probably drastically change what they were doing, you know, so I think just seeing that passion with people is pretty cool. To hear that you wanted to go see a, a disjunct population of babies, you know, and obviously you have the context to realize that it was probably at one point part of a larger population that got, somehow got landlocked in this little region due to climatic change or perhaps due to topography. I mean, that's to me, that's pretty cool. And obviously, I've been the same way. It's, well, you know, okay, this guy's got a context for life that a lot of p- other people don't have. And that's something that when you really start to get into plants through whatever that you know gateway is for you, you start to see these distinctions. You know, I talk to people in a gardening sense all the time. And one of the things that uh, concerns me over there is everything gets lumped together, right? People ask me and they go, oh, what about hellebores? And I go, well, what hellebore? What are we talking about? I'm talking about hellebores orientalis, hellebores niger, like what? Because they're different. How do, you, how do you see that? You know, when people interact with you through, you know, either your YouTube channel or other social media, you know, I, I find it interesting how in a time where people want to make distinctions and maybe want to act like everybody's an individual snowflake, they don't do it with plants, right? Plants are generalized as much as almost anything I can think of. How do you feel like communicating that to people is, you know, that, hey, listen, I, I know you think through this, this, this myopia of a lens about plants, but guess what? There's hundreds of species, thousands of species in some cases, how do you feel that communication has gone with like the, the people that pay attention at least a little bit to what you're doing? Right. I think, I mean, I think it's just, you know, people are just blind to this stuff. My friend Matt, who's got that indefensible plants podcast, he's always talking about plant blindness. I think that's, you know, I think it's just a, a blindness to the natural world, which is what I had for the first you know, probably 24 years of my life. I mean, I think that that's the beauty of evolution. And that's what I want to share with people. I mean, it blows my mind that there's still people who that that find that the idea of evolution offensive or one don't see how it's possible, you know. Uh, but I mean, that's really the evolution's variations on a theme. Each variation, you know, has been basically subjected to a filter. The filter generally being death, you know, that if you don't have what it cut, what it takes to make it in this environment, unfortunately. You go out, you know. Sometimes lineages just go out; they go extinct because of bad luck. Sometimes, you know, whatever. But, but I mean, w- what you're looking at when you look at multiple different species, uh, you know, in the same genus, and these are, of course, species, genus, family. They're just arbitrary human ways to think about evolutionary lineages. Um, but what you're looking at is is basically, you know, variations on a theme. And to me, that's really cool. Like this one species of plant. Uh, might have fuzzy leaves because it, uh, you know, you go back far enough, it shared a common ancestor with this other species that's in the same genus that has smooth, smooth, waxy leaves, you know, but the one that wasn't had smooth, waxy leaves, where that was growing, the climate changed, um, you know, and this is, of course, over immense amounts of time it takes for this stuff to happen, but the climate changed and it became wetter. And so it got waxy leaves that would better shed water. Well, the other species that's in the genus grows in, a, in what's now a desert, you know, and over 
over 500,000 years, it slowly became a desert. The climate dried out, or probably longer than that in some cases, millions of years. A mountain range went up, created a rain shadow, and so the plant that's growing in the rain shadow, the whole landscape there dried out. So, you know, and you'll see this is the really cool part. I mean, this is what really seals the deal. Is you see the same traits evolve in completely unrelated plant lineages because they're the same uh, way of tackling a problem like growing in a very arid environment where you're the gas pores in your leaf are, you know, which take in the CO2 are going to just transpire uh, H2O, water, very, very quickly. So a way to, to change that, and your leaves are going to get too hot because it's super hot and dry and sun exposed. You get a high pressure system, whatever. So the way around that is you, you start evolving trichomes on your leaves, basically hairs on your leaves to reflect that light, keep the leaf temperature down, also keep the moisture in the leaf. You know, but again, it, it's the same genus. It shares a recent evolutionary ancestor with the plant with the waxy leaves that grows in the rainforest now. Uh, you know, but it's they've both just responded over time to changes in their their landscape and their environment, and that's what really gets me is because you know, geology, uh, you know, climatology, physics, all this stuff plays into uh, into this stuff, into the whole variations on the theme thing. So that's what I love you know, sharing with people is like, do you realize how does all this works? Do you get the bigger picture here? It's like we live on a changing, evolving planet, you know, and, and life is, is so incredible in its ability to adapt and the, the mutations that arise that can be detrimental or that can be beneficial. You know, this is really us, us coming alive as a species and realizing how the same thing can happen to us, you know, how we evolve. So, all these little changes, what you know, what they get at, what they point to, is the bigger picture of self-awareness that we have for both ourselves as a species and the planet we live on. It's incredible, and I think if a lot more people had that, you know, maybe we wouldn't be fucking it up so bad like we are now. Where, you know? do, you, where do you land on gardening for individuals, giving them some think, insight to the world of plants? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, how do I feel about gardening? Yeah, do you, I mean, do you see it as like a positive, right? I, I, For me, I guess, as someone that has worked in like the nursery side of the industry, I feel like we haven't done a good job. I feel like we we just didn't present plants in a good way over the last 30 or 40 years. We dumbed it down too much. We picked crops that were just fast growers and that was it. Some of them were invasive even, you know, obviously if we go back, you know, through the decades. Right. And I don't think we really inspired people with interesting. I think we just created, you know, very basic, mundane, suburbia uh, landscapes. I mean, I think, I think the mundane suburban landscape, that's more just a product of people's own imagination or lack of imagination and lack of awareness on the, on the whole issue itself. I mean, for me, I remember I used to be a bike messenger in San Francisco. Like this is like 16 years ago, and one of the guys I worked with was this uh, kind of cholo dude. He was a bike messenger too, who had been involved. I think he was a convicted felon, some. But he would he had since become a Buddhist and chilled out a lot. And you know he would always mention like I just want to, I you know I I want I just I just want to find a way to just be a gardener. You know he's like I just want to be a gardener, man. You know he's like this big you know kind of muscular tattooed guy. And, uh, you know, I always found that pretty cool. I was like, obviously, this guy found something that's working for him, you know. And I think there's not enough emphasis on that. I mean, I think it's just, 
yeah, it's, 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 it's boxed up. The whole idea of gardening is really, for a lot of people, is really boxed up. It's confined into this way that things have to be. It's not, it's just really limiting, I feel like. You know, whereas if, I mean, it's amazing. The whole idea of working with plants, period, whether you're growing them to eat them or you're just growing them because you like having them around to look at, I mean, it's, it's immensely therapeutic. I mean, it's what, it's one of the main things that makes us stand apart from all the other apes. You know, what other apes change their environment by cultivating uh, photosynthetic organisms? You know, none that I can think of. I mean, unfortunately, our ability to, to kill each other off at such, <laughs> such high rates, this thing, uh, you know, distinguishes us from other apes too, but, but yeah, I think it's it's immensely rewarding, and you know, I on that end, I'll meet a lot of guys that or just people, you know, females too. They're like they're they get into gardening or, or horticulture initially through cannabis cultivation, which is yeah, it can be obnoxious and whatever. But eventually, they just get really into it, and now they're growing all kinds of stuff, stuff that has no phys- physiological benefit to people at all. They just like being around it, you know. They like they. They like having it around. They like looking at it. They like working with it. You know, they may not be able to draw or paint, but growing stuff is, they figured that out, you know? And, uh, I mean, I think you look, if, if there's not, I don't think there's a person around, you know, whether they like plants or don't, that, that's not going to prefer, you know, like being in a, a really, uh, vibrant and verdant setting with a lot of plants in it, but that's not going to prefer, prefer that to being, you know, in an area that's just parking lots and sidewalks and whatever. You know, there's something in our in our biology that really uh, cherishes and puts value on being around growing things. You know, so. No, I know you said yeah, I mean, that you you had said that even if you were you know small town desert island, this was your passion. You were gonna you were gonna find it, right? But have you been surprised the the, the feedback? you know, the popularity of it, has that taken you back at all that you're like, holy shit, people are are paying attention. People are invested. Like people are interested in this subject that you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think what really, and I try not to look in the mirror too much, at least in this I just kind of try to enjoy what I'm doing and not get distracted too much. But I think what people really get, you know, seem to enjoy is that I guess it's what, what I do is I guess I just ended up finding a, a niche, like a, a niche that no one was finding a corner that no one was working in, <laughs> like finding a, uh, you know, no one really talks about plants in, in the way that I do. Uh, and I guess it's just because, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was just a blue collar schmuck. I came from the background of a railroad. I kind of had this, uh, I guess somewhat, somewhat, uh, you know, a, a childhood that lived somewhat on the margins of society. And so I took that and, you know, instead of playing in some shitty band or some uh, whatever, you know, which I have no interest in doing or some sort of, you know, whatever, I just became, uh, I just became in love with science. And so I guess it's a, what I do is, is somewhat different than, than what, what most people that, that are into that, that, uh, you know, those, those passions. How do you see the, how do you see the content? Right. So we sort of had these, uh, two worlds of it. You know, we had the, uh, the David Attenborough kind of, 
life PBSy kind of vibe. We had the the gardening shows over the decades. Uh, were you aware of any of that kind of content before you got into this? Was it on your radar at all that you know historically yeah, sure. historically this topic and category has been presented in a pretty stiff way? I mean, it, it is definitely felt like it, it was a bit of a a relic of the past. So was that on your yeah. radar when you started creating content at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, like I watched Planet Earth when I was. I don't know, 20 or something. I liked it, you know, it was cool, but I didn't really, um, you know, I think my, my attention span will wear off after 20 minutes, like longer than most, but, you know, it was still, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't as moved by it. I, so I guess, you know, I like stuff like that. I mean, what I'm into now, I mean, I'm reading research papers in my day-to-day life, you know, stuff that would bore other people to tears. Um, and then I guess, just the way I present it is different. But to, I mean, to me, the way I present it is just kind of funny and it's the way to make it exciting. Like I, I tried, you know, I made a couple of videos when I was first really, cause these all just started off as Instagram stories. Then I started doing them on YouTube. Cause someone told me you should you know, do it on, do it on YouTube. Cause it's, they'll keep it permanent instead of just expiring after 24 hours. So when I was first, Doing that, I had a couple of videos where I just talked in my normal voice like I do now, and it wasn't, I didn't crack that many jokes, I wasn't, you know, lit up, and uh, normally, you know, I'm, I'm 340 milligrams of coffee, and uh, and it just didn't feel right, I felt like I'm, this is just, this is, I'm boring myself, you know, like, how would I talk about this if I really, you know, like, you know, just woke up, slammed two cups of coffee, I'm amped, I'm gonna go, like, climb up this mountain and look at some exciting shit you know uh and so that's kind of what i that's the way i try to talk about it every time i i i'm out there you know because i think that makes it more fun for other people i mean look science communication has been doing they've been doing this this watered down you know acoustic guitar in the background and there's some like really calm clean cut guy with maybe a ponytail if he wants to get a little edgy and he's got like a north face vest on and you know i I just don't that's not me i just that's that's not my style. It makes me nauseous, you know? So I'm just going to go embody this, what I think is hilarious. And, you know, some like 50 year, 50 year old, uh, geriatric Italian from the West side of Chicago, who's totally obnoxious. And, you know, uh, <laughs> sometimes mildly illegal, whatever, and, and put that whole spin on it. And, What's been the reception? Like, I I know you, you do at this point, like you said, you're you're in your spare time, you're going over academic papers. So clearly, uh, you have some interaction with the the academic community of plants. Like, what has their reaction been to you? You know, have they supported what you're doing? Did you get some? You know, oh, yeah, did you get yeah, some I've of the stink some, eye? You know, like, how did it go? No, I've got. To, I mean, sometimes yeah, people would do that a lot, but a lot of a lot of academics, at least the ones. Maybe it's just because I'm in California. I don't know. But a lot of the ones out here that I meet are pretty cool. Like, they're on the level. They laugh. We have a similar sense of humor. They're just a little bit quieter. (laughs) You know, they're, like, a little bit more reserved, a little bit more of a professional attitude than me. Um, But a lot of them have been supportive. I mean, I've got tons of friends that are, you know, I'm friends with with someone who used to be a, a, she just retired from the Forest Service. She's a deep botanist for, you know, know, major national forest out here. Uh, tons of people that, you know, either are college professors or going for PhDs or, or whatever. Um, 
you know, that hearing there, I've met people like there was a guy I met in Australia. When I first met him, he was like, when I first saw what you were doing, you know, I, 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 I'll show you the email one day, but I didn't like it one bit. And I was like, all right, well, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. But he was like, but now I really see how you're reaching people and you're actually a pretty nice guy. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, he, I guess he didn't get the joke at first. I think he was kind of, kind of stiff. You know, what's been, you know, what's interesting. I've, I've mentioned what you're doing to some people in like the gardening horticulture lane. I was surprised that they didn't know about it. Right. I, and I, maybe, you know, me, I, I try to pay attention to shit, but they were like, oh, okay. Um, sure. And I think what you said is true. Most of the people I know on the academic side of it, you know, they're protecting sometimes 10 year career. Like I get it, right. They're not going to take maybe a ton of chances, uh, 15, 20 years into their career, but they do, I think, get communicating to people in a different way. I think so many of them are open to people that are passionate about it. The community that I've seen that seems to be a little bit uh, stiff or a little bit like, oh, what's this odd thing that you're doing um, is more the people that are on like the media side of it. Um, Have you run across those folks at all? Any interaction with that? People who are like, oh, what are you doing? You know, this is sort of a weird thing. This isn't how we normally do it, in finger quotes kind of thoughts. No, no, not really. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my my main my main goal is to get people to appreciate this stuff. My second goal is to get people to laugh. And my third goal is to, to uh, you know, maybe teach people something. If they remember, you know, what the words mean uh, afterwards, cool. If not, that's fine too. But maybe, you know, like I said, the first goal is to get people to value this stuff a lot more. Cause like I said, I mean, I don't think there's much value for it. I don't, I think people like the idea of it. They like the idea of quote nature or whatever that is. I'm not even really sure of what that is myself, but, uh, but you know, they don't really, when it comes down to, you know, are we going to, are we going to protect this thing when someone wants to build a Walmart on this wetland? You know, are we going <laughs> to, are we going to, you know, care enough to, do something about it. You know, I think our whole value system right now is really short-sighted. Our whole economy is built. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have any room for this stuff in the economy. We don't have any room for open space, for preserving habitat. You know, we've kind of got this modus operandi of a tumor, so, you know, and if that bums people out by me saying, hey, well, then good. You probably need to be bummed out. Uh, no, you know, we don't, what are some places... We we're, we're not going to stop growing, you know? I see it, and I just think, you know, I'm like, what what is a species? What do we think is going to happen? Like, where where is this going to go? Like, we don't put any restraints on it. You know, we don't hold back anything. We don't hold back our growth at all. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, we don't live on a finite planet. You know, we're not terraforming Mars anytime soon. What, where are we going to go? What's going to happen? You know, we're going to. I mean, I think the way things go, we keep it up. We're just going to create a giant ghetto out of uh, out of planet Earth. You know, and all, the only wildlife we're going to have is feral cats, cows, pigeons. There was a there was a spot that you visited. I think it was in Chile, where there was like some kind of uh, resort, ski lodge, something being oh, yeah. built over there. <laughs> and you want to talk about a moment of that was obscene. That, that was, yeah, that was obscene. That was just what you were just talking about. Where it's just like as you were showing it, and I'm watching this this YouTube video. I'm like, I can't believe it. It just looked like some bizarre, 
like, like you know, it, I, you know what it reminded me of? There was this comic book back in the day where like they had that little city like in a jar. It looked like somebody took this little city out of a jar and just placed it in this weird spot. And then it just grew up to be this huge thing. It looks so yeah. out of place. It, I mean, yeah, it, it was totally gaudy. It yeah, was totally tacky and gaudy. Mm. I mean, it was the most, <laughs> it was, it was the most alien-looking thing you could imagine in that setting. It, it was the thing that you go, okay, how did this even happen? Have you? Well, what's, what's, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, have I mean, obvious. I mean, did you feel that same way? Is that the first time that maybe you saw it at that level? Where it just seemed, you know, the the hand sort of in this very out of place kind of area, or have you seen it frequently? Yeah, when I first saw, it, I wanted to throw up. I mean, I was laughing because it felt like it was out of a fucking Simpsons cartoon. Like it was just so, it was so dark and just tacky, and it felt like out of the movie Idiocracy. Like, okay, one, you guys are building a ski resort. Chile has been in a horrible drought for ten years. You don't even get enough snow to make this a ski resort anymore, and they don't. They've got snow machines up there, which probably cost God knows how much money to run. They've got reservoirs they have to build for the water that they turn into snow in the snow machines. Uh, and so they're obviously not able to make enough money doing that, so they now they have to you know, sell the idea of turning the mountains into a fucking dirt bike uh, competition, which is cool. It's, uh, I mean, at least in, in the sense that they're actually pedaling bikes. It's not just these little two-wheeled lawnmowers. And I'm like, I, I don't understand how people call that a sport. I mean, it might be fun, but you know, you're not uh, you're not burning any calories by just you know, sitting there and running. So, but anyway, so now they're doing that, and that is what really. I mean, the skiing is probably not that bad. The resort's hideous. It's gaudy. It's just corporate logos and everything. It feels really tacky, but. You know, if, if there's that snowpack there, it's not you're not destroying all these super rare plant lineages that that grow up here at eleven thousand feet in the Andes. But then when you turn it into the, you start trying to do the dirt bike thing, I mean, it just fucking tears up. You know, it happens enough and enough. Uh, it just you know this denudes the whole hillside of vegetation. And then I think about yeah, you know, I I'm traveling here to see the fucking plants that are growing here because I've read about them there. These really weird lineages in the sunflower family, they're all leathery. They look like, like a conifer mixed with a sunflower. You know, they've just been locked in these fucking mountains for the past 40 million years, you know, and retaining remnants of morphology that they probably evolved in response to fucking megafauna that's extinct now. And they're growing everywhere. They're so fucking cool. And, you know, I, the people, I bet I'm probably one of the only few people in the last five years that's been up there looking at them. No one has any idea they're there. No one really regards them as anything. They're just, it's just green shit on the ground, whatever. Who cares? You know, it's, that's the real travesty for me is there's just no fucking context. You know, here we are. We're still just these frustrated apes, you know, on, on, you know, frustrated apes with technology that far outweighs our intellectual capacity, at least of the average individual. And we're just fucking this place up. We're just tearing it apart. We have no context. I mean, it's, it sucks. So I guess that's where I come in, and I'm like, I want to show people how you can, you can still be a loudmouth schmuck and, you know, be into Muay Thai or boxing or whatever, both of which I do. You can be into, you know, all the stupid macho shit and still care about this stuff and have a place for it. Like, it's, it doesn't, the connotation between caring about plants doesn't mean you're, you know, hanging out with old ladies planting petunias. Though I have no, no, no beef for hanging out with 
with old ladies, especially old Italian ladies. I wish my grandma was still like Exactly. Anyway. Well, well, no, I think you're totally right. <laughs> well, and it's, it's one of those things that you do. You, you sort of, you, you feel that way sometimes. There's this stereotype. And I, you know, for me, I didn't grow up with uh, any kind of like, you know, uh, grandparent of any kind of substance, right? Let me, I won't call them out by name, but they weren't the best of people, right? So one of the things that's been so incredible to me in my own experience with plants is so many of the people that I've met are older academics, super hobbyist folks, and they're just incredible sometimes. I knew this one guy, uh, Don Shadow, out in um, here in Tennessee, and he was in his 90s. And the guy was like a nomenclature machine. Just everything. Every taxonomy. Yeah, my, yeah, my friend Don was like that too. Yeah, I mean, mo- actually most of my friends here that are into this stuff, I've got quite a few young friends now too, but most of them are like, you know, 50s, 60s, uh, even 70s, you know? Well, and that's um, that's one of, you know, like you said, it's like there there's there's such interest in the topic and trying to get people to come to it in the way you have, I think has been fantastic. Give me the place that you've been to so far that either surprised you or like you thought maybe it'd be a little more than it was, you know, was there any place you went to that was just a total complete, like, Oh, I thought I'd see more or you went there maybe at the wrong time, uh, a place that either surprised you or you were just like blown away by just the amount of different taxonomy that you saw. I mean, I'm, I'm blown away every place I go. If You know, human infrastructure hasn't ruined it yet, but, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I love it. I love everything. I love seeing all this stuff. I've been uh, all over Mexico. I've been to Chile. I've been to Australia. I've been uh, all throughout the southwestern United States, uh, South Texas, uh, you know, even Nebraska. I've done some botany there. Uh, you know, what's the part of it, the parts of it that aren't turned into corn corn and soybean fields yet. I mean, Baja California is pretty cool. I mean, it's connected to the mainland in the north, but it's basically an island. The whole peninsula is like starting speciation there. So things have been uh, isolated from their counterpart populations in Samoa or wherever. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's no place I've been that's that that has you know bummed me out or underwhelmed me. Like I said, the only things that really do that are the areas where people have ruined it. You know. So, <laughs> is is there somewhere I mean, that you want to go that you haven't yet? Because I know you got to have somewhere. I mean, I've got places in my mind where I'm like, okay, I got to get here. Oh, you, I got to yeah, see this. I've got a, I've got a list of like 15 of them. But <laughs> most, uh, I'm going to New Caledonia in a week. That's a that's kind of a hot spot for me. Has been. That's kind of been a hot spot for me for. Uh, I've been wanting to go there for 15 years. You know, I mean, to a botanist, New Caledonia is like you know the Galapagos. Uh, to Darwin. Um, it's just, uh, these, these lineages of plants, this little island, maybe 30 miles wide, 100 miles long, 500 miles off the coast of Australia, off the east coast of Australia. Uh, it gets all its rain and moisture from the east. And then on the west side of the island is a, a rain shadow. And uh, it's just got all these lineages of plants that, you know, were really common on planet Earth in the Jurassic and are now now extinct everywhere but New Caledonia. So it's kind of got this time capsule effect. Um, yeah, I mean that that that's one of the probably one of the weirdest places uh, 
you know, and I'm, I'm going to be there in like a week, you know, two or three weeks. So do you get interested every day and trying to inventory the whole island, you know, do you get interested in like a plant group first or an area? Like for me, I get on these kicks, like I'll get on like an epiphytic plant kick and then I'll go like, okay, where are all the interesting species at for that? And then I'll go look at native range on it. Does it go like that for you where it's plant first or is it their range first that gets you interested? I mean, it, honestly, now it's more like ecology. Like it used to be, it used to be, I get, I get, you know, I get stuck on a family. I get, uh, you know, enthusiastic about a family and then want to go learn all about that. I still do that to an extent, but now it's more focused on ecology. Like I, I'm focused on, like I was focused on the Atacama Desert for a while, like being there. Like, how did these? This is the world's driest desert, but it doesn't really get that hot. It's next to an ocean; it gets a lot of its moisture from fog. And the cool thing about that is, you see a lot of examples of uh, parallel or convergent evolution among unrelated lineages of plants. You know, it's just life responding the same way to the same environmental conditions, which is getting most of your moisture in the form of fog as opposed to rain. You know, they get almost no no rain. There, I think like an inch or two a year, if that. And so wasn't there even wasn't there even a Talantia species when you were there that grew in that region? Oh yeah, there's like <clears throat> there's like three or four, and they're heavily connescent. They're silvery. I mean, they'd be really easy to kill in a more humid environment, but um, eh, maybe not. I don't know. I guess it depends with heat. As long as their metabolism's up, they they're going. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there was yeah, there was Talantia there. There was these, you know, all these different members of the nightshade family, specifically the genus Nolana, which is a really weird one. Some are succulent, some are like super sticky, like resinous. Um, a bunch of there was a genus in uh, the mallow family called Cristeria that was there. That was everywhere. And then of course the cacti are they're incredible. Like the the cacti you get in Chile aren't really ones you can grow in Arizona because it's completely different climate. You know, it's it's way too hot there for you. You know, they do better in, in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, than they would in, in northern Arizona. And I think a lot of people, you know, they don't get it because you always associate, at least in the northern hemisphere, cacti with hot, dry deserts. Well, it doesn't get that hot down there, and they get all those cold ocean currents coming up from the south. So most of the cacti there are, are adapted to fog. Um, when you get out to an there. area, when you go and you see maybe something like a Pinus aristata or a Pinus longevia, something like that, did you ever have that moment where you go, holy shit, this this tree or plant that I'm looking at, I mean, it, it's been growing, it could be thousands of years. Yeah, I get that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of plants. I mean, creosote, our native, you know, Southwest American creosote goes from Texas to California. Uh, some of those clones can live up over 10,000 years. You know, the above ground tissue may not live longer than a few hundred, but the entire plant itself, that root system, that specific phenotype, it can live for over 10, 11,000 years. Um, Azarella compacta, that really weird member of the carrot family that I saw in the Andes, grown at 14,000, 15,000 feet in elevation. Same thing, those can live for 10,000 years. And just they form these immense carpets that look, I mean, they look like nothing else on planet Earth. You know, they form these carpets of green that drape over the rocks that can sometimes be 20 feet wide, uh, those can live for three or 4,000 years. Some of that carbon has been dated, you know, from the same plant that's 3,000 years old. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Plants are always amazing. They always blow your mind, man. It's just learning about learning about them. I mean, I, I think science in general is like that. You know, that's what uh, I think it was Richard Dawkins called it—the magic of reality. You know, it's people get all amped and they need to believe conspiracy theories or tarot or whatever this silly shit. But I mean, when you you start really getting into science, it's there's enough there to blow your mind 10 times over. It just takes a little bit of focus and, you know, the ability to sit still and read about it. And, and, and I guess picture it, because uh, a lot of it can be abstract if you haven't seen it. You know, picture it. And, uh, you know, well, that, that's, that's enough of a thrill right there. So. Well, and that's one of the great things you're doing. You're, you're bringing it to people to, so they actually do see it. Give me the thing in New Caledonia. Give me two things you're really excited about. I know there's got to be something that uh, you're like, I want to see this. A- there's a plant called Amborella. The genus is Amborella. It's a monotypic genus. It grows up there. It's the oldest, uh, it's considered the oldest living ancestor of flowering plants. It's technically a flowering plant, but it looks so primitive. It's getting, you know, it's, without, without really getting into the flowers that it, you know, the flowers don't look that spectacular. There's, I don't even think there's petals on them. Maybe there are, but, uh, uh, it's just looks kind of like an evergreen plant. You know, like I said, something you'd, you you know imagine seeing in like a the lobby of an office building, but it you know it turns out it's it's one of the oldest living it is the considered the oldest living uh, angiosperm, the oldest living flowering plant. Only grows on that island. Uh, some of the Aracarias out there are totally weird. You know this Jurassic lineage of conifers that you don't get them in the northern hemisphere unless they're planted out. They don't they don't grow in the wild up here, and uh, you know they're all over. They're all over that uh, that island. There's a there's the world's only parasitic conifer, Parasitaxis ustis. It's like a pink member of the podocarp. It parasitizes another member of the podocarpaceae family uh, down there. Um, there's all kinds of different weird orchids, and uh, you know I, I really know the parasitic plants too, just because it's such a weird novelty, and it's you know it's evolved multiple times, and you know. Uh, flowering plant evolution like this you know just a, a plant being a parasite doesn't mean it's related to another plant that's a parasite it's, it's evolved multiple times there's multiple different families and orders that that contain parasitic plants and that's basically just an adaptation to stress you know so you grow in an environment that the soil is pretty nutrient poor you know you some plants for whatever reason evolve to borrow a little bit from their neighbor they can photosynthesize too not all of them but most of them can can photosynthesize too, but they decide they're going to borrow some, you know, uh, carbohydrates from their neighbor and probably some moisture too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, out of all the plants in New Caledonia, I think there's like 3,000 species, a little over 3,000 taxa. I think like 75% of them are endemic to that, that island, meaning that that's the only place they exist, you know, so that's, you get to see basically, you know, 20 million years of isolation, of evolution, uh, Imbibed in the morphology and the, the ecology and even the chemistry of these these things that go there. Um, I will be looking forward to it. Everybody else will be too, because it's always fun. I have a few things which I, I I want you to go check out at some point, just so I can hear you talk about them. So at some point, I'll let you know. Yeah. I'll be like, I'll give you a list. Like here, go find these. Uh, let's go talk about them because they're amazing <laughs> plants. But yeah, can- sure, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah. So you keep doing what you do. If people don't follow it already, Instagram, crime pays, but botany doesn't. Best thing you can do for the rest of your life. Pay attention to plants, people.
cross ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life It's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way I never want to leave this state of Everybody's putting down this brand new hymn But they're just whispers way up here They got no rhyme for the reason why it's wrong But there's still this burning in my ears So for you